0: So in this video, if you're just coming in and haven't seen any of the other videos associated with the Healthy Life Summit or uh, Healthy Life Weekend in um, Orlando this March 22nd through 24th, this is mostly clinical and it's uh, part of the content that I presented at the first Healthy Life uh, Summit. That was also in Orlando. That was last year. Um, We're making this uh, information available. Uh, It's a lot of uh, similarities with information that you'll see on the rest of uh, of this YouTube channel. Um, There are other sections as well. David tells his story in a uh, another video on this on this um, in this series. David, by the way, is the only full-time professional speaker that's a nutritionist that I know. His dad uh, died at age 56 from heart attack and uh, David realized uh, after he was into his speaking career that he had a lot of those um, same problems. Um, That's his story. I'm going to tell you my story in this one as well as uh, a lot of clinical information as well to help you um, prevent your own heart attack and stroke or that of your loved ones.
1: Next, I want to introduce you to the medical director of the Healthy Dentist Summit, Dr. Ford Brewer. Dr. Brewer is also the founder and medical director of PrevMed in Lexington, Kentucky. He specializes in prevention, primary care, and telemedicine. Ford trained at Johns Hopkins, where he went on to run the postgraduate training program in preventive medicine. He's certified in the bale donine method for heart attack and stroke prevention and has over 25 publications in peer-reviewed medical journals. Here's just a few samples of his content that he'll be sharing at the Healthy Dentist Summit. I'm a poster boy for a couple of things specific to this
0: uh, issue. Number one, I've always been in good shape. I've, always been in, I've been in preventive medicine for over three decades. Everybody thinks that obesity drives heart attack and stroke risk. Um, I've got significant heart attack and stroke risk, and it didn't, obviously didn't come from obesity, because I've, not, I've lost five pounds over the past uh, five years. But that's it. That's, I didn't have a lot to lose. It wasn't that. I've always exercised. I've always had a good diet. But I've got 9P21, significant chunks of it, um, and that's That's a gene. We'll talk about some of the genetic risks associated with that. So I'm sharing my PHI, and it's totally appropriate uh, for me to do so. The other thing that I'm a good poster boy for, we'll talk about in the CIMT section. So uh, what, three years ago? Two, Two or three years ago, I did my first CIMT and expected, you know, again, given all the stuff I do in terms of standard risk factors, I expected to do a victory lap after that because I had arteries that were clean as a whistle. And in fact, what I had were a couple of plaques, specific discrete plaques, plus an arterial age of 74 years old. At the time, I was 56. Now, that wasn't very nice. Uh, One of the things about CIMT is it really helps you focus on, yeah, this can happen to me. There are, there's stuff in my arteries, and one of these could dislodge and kill me with a stroke. Worse yet, it could disable me. Or uh, I, I know since they're in the carotids, this is a biochemical process, so they're everywhere else including my heart, so I can have a heart attack too. That is an emotional event, um, and uh, I think most of us in here might have had a CIMT. But again, that stuff we'll discuss later. I was the point, though. What am I a poster boy for around the CIMT area? So, with uh, two years ago, with a arterial with an arterial age twenty years older than myself. I went from, I I changed uh, to, I started taking a statin. Uh, I can tell you a little bit about our patient population. We've got a lot of folks, baby boomer generation, don't want to take meds. I've heard a lot of bad things about statins. Do not want to take statins. I understand. And statins really are a uh, a key therapy in this area. Not so much for LDLs, but for inflammation. I got on the right statin. And like many of our patients, I had delayed that for many years. The other thing I did was I made an adjustment. I had been following my internists. Uh, I had an in, anyhow, I had been taking the standard blood pressure uh, recommendation, which was Losartan, which is an ARB. Don't worry about that technical term. I switched my blood pressure medicine. To a different type. Both of those medications, the Crestor and the Ramapril that I went to, had significant anti-inflammatory effect. I made a couple of other adjustments, but again, I did in lifestyle. I did not have a lot of room in lifestyle because I'd been doing it. Well, over the next two years, I watched my CIMT. I do this full-time now, so I get a lot of opportunities to get a CIMT. So back to the point of why I might be a poster boy personally and share my PHI around something in this area. My CIMTs started dropping, and they plummeted. In two years, they dropped 20 years' worth of aging. So you will hear, and the concept is out there, you can't reverse the plaque that's in your arteries. I did. I reversed it a lot, real fast. And you'll also hear that it's all lifestyle. I wish I could tell you that. I've been a lifestyle proponent almost all of my career. But I'm also, because of that, a poster boy that it's not just lifestyle. Sometimes you need help from medications. And
1: sometimes that can be the, the thing that pushes you right over the edge. At the Healthy Dentist Summit, we're following what's referred to as the bail-doning method. Here Dr. Brewer explains exactly what that means.
0: So you could say, you know, our overall process at a 30,000 foot level is, is pretty simple. We look for disease, that's CIMT, looking for plaque. We look for inflammation, that's the tests that we just went through. So that's how we know. I mean, we've had a couple of questions about how much can you tell about inflammation with CIMT? Not a whole lot, but you've got great tests for it, and those are what we just went through. So then you look for inflammation. If there's inflammation, you calm it down with with medications, aspirin, or, or well, let me hold that for a second. The ACE inhibitors and the correct statin. What's the role of the aspirin again? Down, to prevent the next step, that critical step where you go from uh, just releasing a, a a ruptured plaque to actually forming the clot, which is going to kill you. That's what the aspirin's for. The ACE inhibitor is like the statin. It, and it, it, uh, there's a term called pleomorphic. Pleomorphic basically just means there's more than one function. And we've found, just because of some smart people looking at information and data, that there are a couple of classes of drugs that are pleomorphic. The statins. We always looked at statins as decreasing LDL or the bad cholesterol. So a couple of smart guys in Harvard, looking at a couple of studies, started saying, "There's something else because even patients that we don't decrease the um, the LDL on are getting fewer heart attacks." And by the way, uh, people that don't have a problem with LDL, some of these folks are getting heart attacks, but we put them on statins and they're not getting heart attacks. What they began to realize was the right statin will decrease inflammation. It slows down for some reason or another, and they don't understand why. It slows down that process of MPO release, um, plaque two release, and the other actors that create that liquid, hot, inflamed plaque. It slows that down. But again, that's getting through the easy part and the stuff that I can can and will do with a patient over the couple of months. It's not dealing with the root cause. So if you're one of us who, by age 60, one of the more than one in two of us, more than 50% of us that have insulin resistance, for example, you get that calmed down with the medications, but you still continue to have blood glucose levels in the 130s, 140s, 160s on a regular basis, hour after hour, day after day, what's happening you're fighting you're fighting a losing battle against inflammation in your artery wall so we need to get to root causes again um, hyperglycemia prediabetes is one may it may be the most is the most common but you know with your dentist we've talked Doug's talked a lot about inflammation and, and what bacteria that cause it dentally there's sleep problems. There's just tons of things that we have to start looking for. So that's why I said the easy part's over now. You start getting to root causes.
1: As you've learned, one of our major goals is to get vascular inflammation under control. Without that control, if there's a plaque in the artery wall, it is much more likely to rupture and bring on an event. So here Dr. Brewer explains the new tools we have now to measure that inflammation. Once we measure it, and if it's out of range, then we can do something about it.
0: These are the inflammatory tests. And for our patients, we will first show this slide, walk through it quickly, and then we'll show this slide repeated with their specific results. So I'm going to run through these real quick. HSCRP, it's C-reactive protein. When docs start getting into this whole issue of cardiovascular inflammation, that's the one they'll go to, C-reactive protein. That's the first one I ignore. Why? Because you could have had a viral illness two weeks ago, and your CRP is going to be elevated. It's not going to tell me anything. Uh, microalbumin creatinine ratio, MACR. That's the most important one. That's the one that I pay the most attention to. Why? It's telling me if you've got cracks in your tennis court. You remember what the tennis court is? That end, intima and that endothelium. How does it tell me, tell me that? <clears throat> you know, the kidney's nothing but a set of filters. It's got a million, each kidney's got a million glomeruli. Don't need to remember that word. A glomeruli is just a filter. It's where the blood is going through a filter. Guess what that filter's made of? Intima, the tennis court. So if you've got cracks in that tennis court, it's going to be leaking down in your kidney as well. What's the most common protein in serum? albumin it's not a problem that in terms of you losing albumin that's not the problem with when people say you're losing albumin the problem is that lost albumin shows that you've got cracks in your tennis court and that's why this number is the most important for us in terms of looking at inflammation now what is plaque 2 I'm not going to go through it's an acronym but it basically is an enzyme it's released by monocytes you remember the immune cells that are released when they you remember that inflamed soft liquid area of plaque that got inflamed and soft and liquid because mostly of two enzymes that are being released by the immune system one is plaque two and the other one is what i'll give you a hint doug mentioned oh thanks (laughs) Dave. i'm doing it again so uh, Doug mentioned it it's uh, our version our internal biological version of Clorox MPO I'll also give you another maybe gross thing but it will still help you uh, image and connect the dots you know when you get a cold when a child gets a cold there's a little bit of a greenish tint to that snot mucus that green comes from MPO MPO has a greenish tint to it Remember I mentioned earlier two of the most common error, errors in drawing your blood and looking for this. One is not labeling our number one and our number two of your oral glucose tolerance test. This is the second most common error. What we're doing is looking at an enzyme. It's in your uh, neutrophils, the immune cells. It's in pockets in them. So if the if the gets your blood and they leave it before they centrifuge it more than half an hour, that MPO will leach out, it and you'll get a false positive high rate of MPO. It doesn't give you a high; you get a high rate of it. The other mistake they will make is after they spin it down. Let's say they spin it down within 30 minutes, then they don't. Uh, they put the tip of the pipette too deep if they get below the tip gets below and into the white cell the cellular layer they're still pulling up white cells so they're still getting a false positive why does that matter anybody read the book what's he called MPO you remember the Joker He he says basically everything else can be totally Uh, totally fine but if you pull the MPO it's like pulling a a Joker in a card game your all bets are off and you can die so I get a lot of patients that are really worried when they get a high MPO if you get a high MPO don't worry again it's more likely to be a false positive than anything else however we will ask you to take there's a couple of simple treatments for it what's the most simple one it's an over-the-counter medication that you take for sleep melatonin so what we'll do is we'll, we'll get patients started on melatonin I will calm them down and go through this whole discussion about false positives we'll look obviously for the next thing to see if there's other evidence of inflammation and then we'll repeat the MPO now what is F2 isoprostane? anybody know what that is lifestyle lie detector basically it is. Uh, remember we talked about prostaglandins a couple of times this is a prostaglandin as well and it shows if you have been it shows oxidation status on a current basis so if you say and people do this and this can be an emotional thing people come in especially if they have like obvious obesity or if they've had struggles with uh, weight loss we'll often get into tears in terms of lifestyle and uh, F2 isoprostane will tell us, it's called the lifestyle lie detector. If you've been doing the right things with your diet, with your exercise, um, it'll show up on that. How, how far back is it? About a month,
1: yeah. One of the major drivers of vascular inflammation is what's called insulin resistance. It is sometimes referred to as pre-diabetes and once we reach age 50 or 60, Many of us have the condition and are not aware of it. The good news is that when you get insulin resistance under control, that is when you get the cells of your body more receptive to the insulin that your body is producing, you can dramatically hold off not only inflammation of the vascular system, but also the progression of insulin resistance into full-blown type two diabetes.
0: Prediabetes, I've been hammering prediabetes. You guys know it's way under, under diagnosed and that's what these slides are about. Uh, do I need to talk that much about fasting glucose hemoglobin a one c any questions about any of these concepts oral glucose tolerance tests the need to do an OGTT rather than just depend on hemoglobin a1c any questions around that area yes okay except you know you haven't you're not alone get the book actually Get the, you'll learn more about prediabetes in half an hour to two hours, depending on how much you want to put it. Get the book uh, "Blood Glucose 101." The author's name is Jenny J E N N Y Rule R U H L. Yes, I'm sorry. Blood. What's the difference, Dave? <laughs> uh, well, finding the
1: book and not finding. The
0: right. So, uh, you know, we'll talk about this some tomorrow with the TAME study. We'll talk about it with the metformin. Between ages 50 and 60, over half of us get insulin resistant. Insulin resistant is, there can be a couple of mechanisms for insulin resistance. One is uh, you're not producing enough, enough insulin. Another is you're producing enough insulin or more, but your body's not doing anything with it why is that a problem well there's clear evidence I used to have a professor at med school that talked about diabetes he kept a little piece of plastic in his coat pocket and he'd give a lecture and he'd say this is what happens to pre diabetic and diabetic tissue you become plasticized now anybody know any idea of what he was talking about glycosylation the glucose molecule actually binds covalently to protein molecules <coughs> and in some ways it makes it more plastic it messes up the tissue we've got a great example of glycosylation right on this slide what is it hemoglobin, hemoglobin. all that I- all hemoglobin a1c is is glycosylated hemoglobin uh, anybody not know what hemoglobin is there's nothing magic about being hemoglobin but what we do is we, we can take that hemoglobin out measure it to see what portion of it has gotten glucose covalently attached to it and thereby decrease some of its function and thereby plasticize it some so there it, it, you'll see as we continue to talk about glucose metabolism it's not good for the body to have elevated levels of blood glucose the metabolism is set up to where when it starts elevating people that have normal uh, metabolism you'll rarely if ever see their glucose go over 120 or under 80 now once you hit age 50 uh, 60 half of us will start routinely bumping over 120 there is you'll see in Jenny rules book for example She thinks she's quoting a lot of information that indicates you get significant damage beyond 140. I'm not quite so sure that you have to get to 140 to have this glycosylation process. But hemoglobin A1c is looking for the past 30 days, 30 to 60 days at your levels of blood glucose and being able to judge that average by the amount of glycosylation that's happened in your hemoglobin.
1: In this next section, Dr. Brewer discusses the role of genetics. This is information that your physician, and probably even cardiologist, is unaware of. Now once we determine the presence of disease, we need to determine why the disease exists. As you just learned, insulin resistance is a major factor. But there can be genetic reasons as well. As I like to tell my audiences, genetics is your tendency, it is not your destiny. While it's true that we can't change our genetics, at least yet, you do have a degree of control over whether or not you will manifest your genetic tendency. Just because diabetes runs in your family does not mean you have to become a diabetic. Just because obesity runs in your family does not mean you have to become overweight. If you have a genetic tendency, it means you need to be more vigilant in resisting that tendency. Genetics is not a death sentence. It simply means you have to work harder than the average person to have the same health outcomes.
0: 9p21 I mentioned that did I mention that that it used to be the the cancer gene now it's the heart attack gene or and, and it's really the diabetes gene uh, what well, maybe we we'll talk about that a little bit more to tomorrow and I've got it and you know that's nothing big because three-quarters of us do it is very common actually the people that don't have 9p21 risk are the exceptions are the lucky ones the ladies that are 90 years old and don't have plaque those are the guys that don't have any of the 9 p21 risk genes it's a genetic test it's swish and spit uh, kif 6 don't use that so much anymore some may some minor risk for cardiovascular disease <laughs> it used to tell us all about which statin to pick now that Crestor has lost its patent for a couple of years We don't worry about it so much because Crestor is a really good uh, option for decreased inflammation ApoE David you've talked about that that was part of the the package for this weekend I think right (laughs) Janice mentioned it Uh, ApoE even the American Heart Association says look you need to know about somebody's uh, personal genetics before you their own personal metabolism before you recommend a diet or exercise and that sort of thing they're talking about a- apoe apoe 44 you're you're very unlucky you're at much higher risk for heart attack and especially stroke and especially dementia the rest of us go out and we exercise we get an improvement in our hdl about an hour afterwards apoe 44 doesn't you've heard about alcohol being helpful it's only if you're ApoE 2 2 or 3 3 if you have 4 alcohol doesn't help your HDL's either so and you've heard about the portions of fat that you need to have in your diet again depends on your ApoE um, I'm gonna move quickly David uh, 4q 25 I've got that one as well a lot of us do but not so many it's atrial fib it's uh, and atrial fib has its own Unique. it's sort of like LP little a. It is a major topic of discussion in terms of heart attack, but especially stroke risk.
1: And here in Dr. Brewer's last section, he addresses the issue of statins and the potential negative side effects. I agree with his perspective. The good far outweighs the potential negatives. See what you think.
0: Anybody afraid to take statins, not want to take statins? Bottom line is yes. It's sort of like you came up you were talking about oh the thing about pesticides and plant-based foods this is the statins the same thing <clears throat> um, yes it causes myopathy and the myopathy can cause death statins are not innocuous they're not totally harmless they do decrease uh, or move you down this diabetes highway that we're talking about so if diabetes is the major cause of Of the inflammation of heart attack and stroke why do we want to give you a medicine that's going to move you in that direction because it will now the question there's some statement that maybe it causes hemorrhagic stroke that's probably not true but even if it is that's what you see this is a an article that was published recently Um, basically it's looking at 10,000 people Uh, it's a meta-analysis so you know it came from all the studies that are that are uh, out there right now yes you do have a lot of problems caused by (coughs) statins but here's what you avoid out of that same group out of 10,000 people for five years you have this number of problems but avoid this number of deaths so yes it causes problems but that's why we give it you're seeing in the background now is the um, is one of the testimonials. We've got several testimonials for atten- or from attendees for the uh, the first um, Healthy Life Summit in Orlando. One of the things you'll see is uh, sometimes it's called Healthy Dentist Summit and here's why. Um, more dentists than anybody uh, else came to that um, to that first meeting. And I've talked uh, many times about why that's the case. Dentists see early signs of uh, insulin resistance, diabetes, and cardiovascular inflammation when they look in the mouth. And if you've had um, bleeding when you go to the dentist, that's a very strong sign. So we actually went on to get um, continuing education credits. Um, Dentists that attend this program now Uh, get professional uh, credits for their licensure. Um, But again, it's not, you don't have to be a dentist uh, to come to it. Thanks. Oh, one other thing, Um, other uh, parts of this content we'll be providing in the, uh, uh, in this series. We have a, a, we've had David talk about his story. Uh, I've just, uh, in this video, Giving you some of my story and some clinical information <clears throat> uh next doug um Thompson will be giving you some of his information, and that one's really more uh focused for dentists. I know there's a lot of uh micronutrient fans out there if you've ever heard of spectracell uh we had some folks from SpectraCell come in and present, and uh everybody that came to the first uh to the first session, uh, the Healthy Life Summit, and the ones coming to this one will all get uh, spectra cell tested. Basically, it's where you get your cells, your body tested for the micronutrients um, to know a little bit more about your own nutritional status. Uh, we'll have a couple of videos on that as well or at least we plan to and to have again some of that free content available. Thank you very much.